Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, I'm talking to Alex Quigley about his work on reading and how central it is to a child's success in school and in life. As ever, just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guest and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I am joined by Alex Quigley, who is National Content Manager at the Education Endowment Foundation. He is also an author and expert in using research um, in schools, particularly around vocabulary, literacy and reading, which is going to be our subject matter today. So hi there, Alex. Hello. Hello. So, Alex, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll come on to talk about your work with reading in a bit more detail. Yes, so I was a teacher for around 15 years um, and there was a point of seven or eight years in where I began to engage in social media, Twitter, and became a blogger. And that led to becoming an author for teachers. I was asked by Jeff Barton to write a book for New English teachers. And then over time... I became really interested in research evidence and trying to make translate that for teachers, particularly around literacy and, and likes of vocabulary and reading. Um, so I became more and more a writer and, and I also got engaged with um, research trials myself and, and was at the forefront of an EF trial called the WISE Project. And then step by step, I ended up um, joining um, the charity um, and, and working with schools across the country um, trying to focus on disadvantage in particular and trying to close that gap and support pupils. Um, and, and in my personal um, life, that really manifests itself in, in trying to focus in on reading and vocabulary. And, and it harks back to being an English teacher, trying to do a half-decent job. <laughs> Great stuff. So you, you've written um, extensively on, on the reading gap and the vocabulary gap. So it'd be really good if you could explain a little bit more to our listeners what exactly you mean by both of those. Sure, so I don't think anybody would be surprised to say that they're both intimately connected. So vocabulary and reading, they're all part of of language and and language of course is so crucial to school success. And it starts really early before children ever get to school, they experience language and reading you know, reading from parents and caregivers and all of those talk exchanges that start really early. And then you get to school, you learn to read, you know, for most children, you develop your vocabulary. And then over time, that becomes really critical to your school success in primary school and secondary school and beyond the school gates. But what we know, there's a depressing reality that some children have a really rich literate experience before they ever get to school. Lots of picture books, lots of reading, lots of talk and, and vocabulary developments really early on. And they're really well set when they enter reception and, and join school. But then they have um, you know, a significant number of peers who don't quite have that experience. They don't quite have those supports outside the school gate. And, and there's uh, language gaps that start really quite early. And, and that hampers your preparedness to 
learn to read, to access the school curriculum. And we see that this gap um, starts really quite early. So your vocabulary age five correlates with your GCSE outcomes and, and, and even your life outcomes in your career. And what we see in SATs in year six, and then we see it again in GCSEs, is that there's a, there's a core of children, and it's typically around one in four children, who seem to underperform with reading, and that seems to match just generally their ability to flourish in school. So the gap starts early. It's really gnarly and deep-rooted, and it happens outside the school gates, and it feels actually insurmountable. But what we also know from, from good evidence is that teachers in the classroom can make a significant difference. That reading practice, being supported with explicit vocabulary development and, and being supported to be a strategic reader and, and to be a knowledgeable reader with a you know, really good, well-developed curriculum. All of these things can help close that gap. So as, as an ex-teacher and as someone passionately focus on literacy and, and how important reading is it, on, a, on a personal note you know it's the reason I got to university it's you know as a first generation of going to university in my family so there's something you know I, I'm really impassioned about the power of reading and it's really clearly critical for children to have that success in school so the gap you know it, it's all of our jobs it's there you know at the root of a lot of the challenges we face um, in school and it's something every teacher needs to know about and be able to be supported to tackle. Indeed and I think it's interesting because often when um, people kind of in the wider education policy media discourse want to kind of put using computers in one place and reading and books in another place and obviously that to an extent you can use a computer without being able to to, to read particularly well but that they are really in, interconnected and obviously we've um children and young people have been experiencing a lot more of their education on a screen um and i know at the school where i'm a governor um, we are now looking at um, a challenge around children's kind of stamina for reading books and yeah. kind of their their interest in 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 reading from a, a text rather than from a screen. Um, so can we, it would be good to sort of think about some of the specific ways in in which that sort of remote learning experience and school closure has has had an impact on those on those gaps. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's important to say that the likes of this gap is a lifelong matter. Mm. You know, it starts before school. So it's not just something that's happened in the last six months. I think what the last six months have done and, and children being out of the classroom without all the crucial supports of the teacher, and I know you, know, you can offer support remotely, but it's still different. Um, that's probably shone a light on this challenge and this gap and, and reading on screen, etc. So for me, I, I think the problem hasn't changed. It's probably just become a bit more acute. One of the statistics I use in the book is around book ownership. And one in eight children um, from disadvantaged backgrounds don't own a single book. And one, 11, one in 11 of all children in England don't own a book. And you can explain that away and, and you can you know, discuss the nature of reading and how it's changed. But ultimately, I think for me, that's a bit of a canary in the coal mine in terms of if you don't own a single book, you probably don't have easy access necessarily to technology. You probably don't have the literate environment where you're 
supported to read habitually. And so things like reading motivation, reading choice, all of these things don't happen as effectively uh, as they do for your peer who's got book ownership, technology ownership. And I think over the last six months, we've focused a lot on technology. And, and that's become really obvious that that's a, a barrier and a limitation on a lot of children's education. And we need to, of course, fix that and, and you know, Wi-Fi, access to Wi-Fi and access to technology. It really is a prerequisite now where perhaps it, it wasn't before and it was something of a, a luxury even in some cases. Mm -hmm. But I think we, we also don't think hard enough around not necessarily the book ownership aspect, but also, well, you've got a screen, you've got a laptop. Now it's about the quality of learning. And one of the factors we know from research evidence, and it's still emerging, but one meta-analysis has shown that reading on screen, it's less effective for you know, the, the compared, sorry, it's less effective compared to reading from paper. Particularly so, this is so with informational texts, less so with fiction. And so what we're faced with is for the last six months, we've of course been expecting that pupils do a lot of reading, follow tasks online, you know, look at a lot of different sources on the web. And actually the, the challenge of reading informational text is really high. And then it's increased because there's something, you know, not quite as optimal about reading on a screen. And so we need to, we need to start looking at these problems a bit more specifically and not just assume that having a laptop does the job. And of course, you know, every teacher you know, knows this is that when you're in a classroom, when you're reading, the teacher can role model that reading. You ask questions to check understanding. You've got interactions and talk, but it's really hard to replicate remotely. And so for a lot of children in the last six months, they've done some really valuable learning, but maybe they've not done so much habitual reading. And when they have been doing the school orientated reading, maybe sometimes it's not been so effective. And, and certainly the evidence would indicate that those children who were word rich and reading rich before COVID and lockdown, they probably just got that bit richer. And those children who are reading poor and vocabulary poor before COVID, well, they've probably got a more acute challenge at the moment. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, your point about um the sort of quality of the of the reading on the screen. I'm sure any of us who've had to kind of proofread a document on screen versus on paper can can really relate to that. And I think there's something around um, the, the texts on screen that you're never quite finished with, whereas you kind of close a book and think, have I absorbed yeah. this? There's always this yeah. tendency to sort of go back to the stuff online. Um, yeah, really, really interesting there. And, you know, thinking about that challenge, as you've just just outlined, um, what would be your advice to, to schools um, now who, who are really trying to tackle these specific challenges, but will potentially have to dip into um, remote learning again, depending on the course of the pandemic? OK, so I, I think a first step is to consider the school curriculum and and. You know, the curriculum is always in development. I think in the last 18 months, for various reasons, you know, Ofsted's interest and of, you know, just a general interest in curriculum, that it's risen up in terms of, you know, a topic for schools to consider. And why it is important to consider curriculum is that actually how well you design it, how well it's sequenced, how well it's connected up and the topics and, and vocabulary and, and the reading choices you make throughout your curriculum that will be a crucial platform 
for effective teaching to happen. You can have a great, you know, curriculum and it and it doesn't get enacted very well. Uh, one analogy I often use is, you know, we can have a beautiful curriculum. It can be a Ferrari curriculum. But if a child can't read very well, then it's like not having the key to that Ferrari. Mm-hmm. So, but but having a strong curriculum, I think, is is that foundation for good practice. And and I also argue that curriculum is reading. That when you think around curriculum developments throughout primary and into secondary school, you are primarily you're thinking about experiences and different subject domains, of course. But every subject is mediated by reading, and 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 many subjects are dominated by reading. So. You know, geography and history and English, they're the only obvious subjects where we consider reading. And yet also we know that the evidence indicates that in science, one of the barriers for disadvantaged children is their levels of literacy because the language of science is so dense and complex. So whether it's reading a textbook, whether it's reading a task on screen, whether it's following along to an explanation or whether it's reading Shakespeare, you've always got to be paying attention to reading and reading is so integral to your curriculum. So on a simple level, I think for each teacher, it's making those choices for the right text at the right stage for your pupils. And and I I use the analogy of of a Goldilocks text, not too hard, but also not too easy. So you need to be challenged and you need to be learning new words and new concepts and new ideas that often needs a teacher to mediate that challenge. And this is where when you have reading online, when you have tasks online, I've heard lot, you know, lots of examples where just some pupils have struggled to follow the task and therefore they've sent things through that you know they didn't meet the mark just from that basic principle of reading what was expected of them. But then we also see that all, that, all those small gaps in background knowledge and vocabulary knowledge manifest themselves when a pupil's working remotely and so I think in terms of being strategic, one, you need to consider your curriculum, get it really well lined up and pick those Goldilocks texts that children can read independently. But also it's offering those supports, whether they're in class or remote, those supports around some pre-teaching of, of key vocabulary, some links to sources that might give handy explainers of difficult concepts. You know, in, in lieu of not being able to model science in the classroom, you might need a really good video of you know, a, a scientific demonstration. But also you need children to be strategic readers, whether they're five or 15, they need to be able to reread. They need to be able to slow down and scan a text for, for key information. One of the things, we don't quite know why reading on screen is suboptimal, but probably scrolling and the inability to look back a chapter in, in, in the typical way, mm-hmm. may be one of those reasons. So. We need to help uh, pupils consider how they're strategic, particularly on screen, and how that might be different. So one of the simple things we know about being a better reader is writing about what you've read. And I know this is pretty obvious, but doing it well isn't so obvious. Writing about what you've read helps with understanding and remembering what's being read. So just writing a summary of a text online is a good way, both of consolidating you understood that text And also, if you can feed that back to the teacher, it's a good way of making visible just how well you understood that reading. So I think teachers are grappling with, you know, lots of issues at the minute, you know, often split, you know, have to be Janus faced in terms of their teaching a class, but making sure, you know, some children who are, you know, social, trying to be at home and, and safely ensconced, 
actually they need support as well. So there are real logistical challenges that a school needs to, you know, facilitate those that infrastructure around the technology, making sure we remove those barriers, and then allowing the teacher to focus on what they need to explain carefully, picking that Goldilocks text, thinking about what children need to know, pre-teaching where appropriate, and helping pupils be strategic and give them some feedback on that reading. So you know, there is no there's no pithy silver bullet answer here. It's a complex problem. It requires multiple, you know, solutions. But I think we're seeing that happen. You know, and I'm seeing you know across the country. So I really like how like in the Greenshaw Trust um, down in London, they have their daily reading. To, you know, they've had that together online all the way through lockdown. And therefore you've got a platform for shared reading where that reading is modeled by an expert, teacher, etc. And, and there's been lots of innovative ways that people have been using Teams and Zoom and all these other factors to give feedback, to talk about the reading, to clarify understandings. There's, you know, kind of all kinds of apps now around kind of communicating with one another, storing kind of you know, questions and vocabulary items. So I think this has been a real challenge, but also I think people have been really creative in, in finding solutions. I think for me, we've just got to make sure teachers are supported to keep the main thing the main thing. And and reading is right at the heart of that. Yeah, as you say, it is it's so foundational. There's there's no access to the other learning, you know, if with that if there is a barrier there. And yeah, I can imagine, especially um, you know, we're we're talking on a podcast now, this sort of use of of, of audio and, and sound alongside a, a text and and how that could be that could be really helpful um, with some of that as well. And as you say, they're ordering the curriculum and sequencing um, the learning so that you know that 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 vocabulary builds in a logical way. Um, also, also really important there. And um, you know, I, I guess um, uh, thinking thinking about the um, you know where where the reading gaps um, start, as you said early early on. Um, but they can be it can be so difficult for those children who, who don't leave primary school able to read at age expected to then access any of the secondary curriculum because it is so 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 dense in terms of the, the literacy that they need. Do you, do you think the accountability system sort of puts too much emphasis on developing reading skills at the beginning of a child's school career so that actually secondary schools don't don't put enough emphasis on literacy in their curriculum? What are your thoughts there? So I think it's a tricky one. I think, um, you know, what I've described is that lit early literacy is the foundation for school success. You know, I could, I could list, you know, evidence around just the foundation importance. And if we don't get that right, it's really hard to catch up and close any of those, you know, those gaps. And so I recognise where we should put emphasis. And I think there's enough reading science around you know, knowing that decoding, making that automatic and fluent really early matters. So I understand the accountability emphasis on structured phonics programs. Um, I understand the likes of the phonics check. I think the problem with accountability is when sensible things become a target, they no longer become enacted sensibly. So I think when you look at the phonics check as, a, as an assessment, it, I think it's really useful. It, as, as the clue is in the name, it should just be a check. It, you know, it looks at 
Um, you know, the, even the alien words, they've got a real purpose as a diagnostic. But because it becomes a national assessment, it takes on, you know, a different emphasis. And, and, and of course, so many children just get the pass mark and, and, and that reveals something in itself. And an offset focus on early reading. Um, and I think they ask really good questions. So to be very o open and, and honest here, um, I was one of the colleagues who was asked to, you know, comment on the, the observations of reading and, and English um, in schools uh, amongst many of the experts who are really well known. Um, and it, it's really hard that you can ask good questions because there's such impact of a, a negative inspection, but actually it can lead to unintended practices. And, and, and because the likes of Key Stage 2 SATs is a national, you know, it's in the league tables, you know, it can drive, you know, school behaviors and pressures that distort a focus on reading. And so the phonics check, SATs papers, I, I think there's value in those different types of reading assessment. And in, in the reading gap book, I try and explain what's good reading assessment and the different things to look at. But I, I think league tables, I, I think, could go. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, the evidence would indicate that parents see league tables as a definitive, useful thing for, for they pick a school on the basis of. I think league tables, you know, in the last year they've gone. So, you know, there's, there's a reality here around, you know, the world doesn't fall, you know, because league tables are omitted. I think there's something around, I think, inspections within a school system given the diversity of the school system, I think inspections, that's not a one that I think there's a need for inspection. But I think always, you know, we can improve that process. And I, and I think it's about trying to get the right balance because accountability is a bit of a blunt lever. One of the things I try and focus on is, well, you can inspect a school, you can judge a school on, on results around reading, but if you're not feeding those teachers with training and high quality resources to get better, well, then we're just bludgeoning them and we're not necessarily helping them improve. And I think our emphasis often is, in, is to think too much about accountability and not about that training lever. And I think, you know, there's very few teachers who don't think early reading is important, don't recognise the value of structured phonics. But we get into arguments when it becomes about, you know, school, like school level accountability and the pressures. So I, I'd like to see more of a balanced approach where accountability should exist in a national school system. I've got no problems with that, but it should be balanced with school improvement and training supports that are really sustained. And you know, there are networks of schools who help, but but sometimes, you know, particularly in the last year, there's so many competing demands for schools that they can't keep that main thing of focus. And actually there's not necessarily that sustained quality of training support all around the country. So, so in, in short, yeah, accountability is always a challenge. I don't think we should just remove all of it, but we should, you know, that kind of classic, we should have intelligent accountability. And that for me should be matched by the highest quality training. So if, if we were to improve reading, and, and I think there's some positive signs around reading, you know, compared to other nations, if we were to improve early reading and, and sustain that improvement, across the next two you know, decades, say, compared to other nations, then that would have so many benefits nationally, 
you know, in terms of social care, in terms of you know health, in terms of you know, education and, and the kind of wealth of the country, but actually you know the benefits would be tremendous. And so investment in training and, and thinking harder about accountability really shouldn't be beyond our wits. Yeah, and it does it does feel a little bit that um uh you know prime primaries bear this kind of heavy heavy burden of the of the accountability and then at, at secondary level because results are by subject you almost lose sight of this literacy piece which is obviously under underlying performance in in a lot of those subjects um yeah very very tricky um and yeah i was i was just struck when when you were talking there thinking about um sort of a lot of those um checks are are are, are you know looking everybody everybody to meet them ideally but for children with um special educational needs for whom read, reading is always going to be um a challenge what um what advice do you have um on that from for for schools so I think at, at the root, the same solution is making sure the foundations of teachers understanding reading. And you know, I, I write a full chapter about reading barriers. So one simple aspect before you get to the individual child with specific needs is to recognise why reading is complex. You know, what are the different threads of the reading rope which are tricky? So vocabulary is just one of those, but sentence structures, text structures. So there's some complexity there that means every choice you make around reading, you know, matters and teacher knowledge about that difficulty matters. And then you get to children with specific needs around reading. So I I talk about those in the book because I I felt spectacularly underprepared to support children who were, you know, had special educational needs around reading. I I simply wasn't part of my training. Um, I was frankly fearful and, and tried to kind of, you know, hand that job over to the Senko who had a better idea of interventions than I did, even though, you know, I, I was meant to be, you know, the expert teacher of reading and, and, and literacy. So I, I think what I recognize in the book is that we need to simplify it to some degree for teachers to give them a framework to get started on. And I think the simple view reading is really helpful for that. So uh, in, in, in simple terms, it shows how reading has got this decoding focus. You're able to lift the words off the page. And then it's got the comprehension focus where you need to understand the words and, and piece it together and make meaning. And decoding and comprehension, you know, interactive course, you know, they're both two sides of the same coin. But when it comes to special educational needs, children who have dyslexia, you know, a commonly known label, but probably less understood than known, they are children who struggle with decoding and, and that also manifests itself in, in spelling, of course. Whereas we also have poor comprehenders and their issue is around the comprehension and not having the background knowledge and not being active strategic readers. So I, I write a bit more about them in the book and it's trying to just give teachers an accessible way in. Well, not every reading barrier or special need is equal. You know, some are quite distinctive you can have children who are very dyslexic and then you can have you know mild dyslexia where effectively it's it probably just an issue with reading that can be corrected and, and and we could even debate the mild dyslexia 
diagnosis. You know, this kind of healthy debates around dyslexia as a term itself. And then we did comprehension the same. You know, it's not that there is a, an easy guaranteed classification for what makes a dyslexic child or a poor comprehender. It's a bit like obesity, that there's a, there's a scale here and children who are at the wrong end of the, of the reading scale get labeled with these terms. But ultimately, most teachers have very little idea of what being dyslexic means and, and certainly what to do about it. And I think with it goes back to early reading in terms of structured phonics programs, that, you know, programs around developing comprehension and reading fluency. Reading is complex. It's not as natural as we assume. And for a small number of children, it's incredibly difficult. But we know enough around good quality interventions and we also know around good practices in the classroom. And so this is about teachers being trained and supported, as well as SENCOs and other school leaders really prioritizing reading. So, you know, if we go back to accountability, I know that Ofsted uh, in primary schools in particular, you know, looking about the experience of those children in that, you know, bottom kind of quartile uh, of, of school cohorts. And I completely understand why because if they don't develop as readers, then they'll forever be shut out from school success. Um, but again, alongside that scrutiny, which I, I think is understandable, we also need to train teachers and school leaders more broadly about what we can do about it. Because, you know, there's, there's some stuff out there that's, you know, frankly, you know, there's not an evidence warrant that strong would indicate that it's something I would recommend. So for dyslexia, coloured overlays, you know, I don't think there's a great deal of robust evidence to support those. And yet some, you know, some pupils and some individuals, you know, kind of report like some positives. And this is the type of question challenge that school leaders should better understand, that we should be supported to pick up. Because if you've got a quarter of pupils who aren't reading at expected standard in year six, and, and pretty much the same quarter of pupils go on to struggle at GCSE, that fundamentally undermines our whole education system. So, you know, it's more than just a job for someone else in the special needs department. This is this is something that we all need to pay attention to. Yeah, and as you as you say there, I mean, it's it's not to say that um, you know the practice isn't working. You know, it's working for that majority. Um, but there's a there's a clear gap there that's that, that just gets wider for those other children. So where what any kind of sources of of, of evidence or, or places that you'd recommend people people look for more information on that? Um, so this sounds like sounds really kind of self promotion, but Feel I think free. the the well the chapter on reading barriers i've tried to keep it accessible you know under five thousand words but there's a lot of references in there as well um and and for me i want teachers particularly school leaders to follow some of those references because i think it really matters i think one of the if i was to just give another signpost to a good grounding um there's a research paper um by a group of experts called um ending the reading wars and it's about this kind of history of, of issues around reading development, but also touches on you know, those different issues of the simple view of reading, about reading, um, specific reading needs, etc. So I think Ending the Reading Wars is a really good, freely available piece of research that you can dig into. I think it's really accessible 
Um, and, and that's a good starting point to go alongside that chapter. Lovely. Um, and we'll make sure we have a we have a link to that in the podcast notes. So and obviously, Alex, you have a very keen sense of evidence and research and, and what would work. So say I gave you unlimited influence with government and unlimited funding. What would you do to close the reading um, of vocabulary gaps? OK, so I, I'd be giddy with excitement after, after unlimited. I funding wish I prospect. could do this. It would be uh, great. Um, so. I said earlier, you know, let's let's be really honest. I'm, I'm not a politician, so I don't have to package a nice, simple solution that everyone can understand, you know, and, and all parents, you know, are attracted by. I think it's a complex problem, so it requires a complex, multi-stranded solution. I, I said earlier, you know, the foundations start young. So for me, it would be around, you know, programs and supports before children ever get to school around early reading and language development. And you know, we've had them in the past, likes of Sure Start, et cetera. I'm not saying we should go back to the past, but we should certainly look at the best programs available in that regard. You know, and we know we know a lot about the likes of book gifting. So you could spend millions of pounds on book gifting, but unless you provide the supports for parents to utilize that resource, it probably won't be well spent. So there's the likes of early language development support for parents. There's the likes of book gifting with other supports and, you know, kind of schools need to be integrally involved in that. So I'd spend a lot of my energy and money in the early years so the gap doesn't emerge and that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't kind of, you know, entrench itself really early. And then, probably unsurprisingly, given what I've stated before, I'd invest a huge amount in training teachers and, and in terms of initial teacher training, but career-long training. And in primary schools and secondary schools, obviously, there's a different emphasis on reading. So in primary, it's about learning to read and then reading to learn. In secondary school, there's a bit of an assumption that they've learned to read, and, and it's about reading to learn. But that's often taken for granted. So there's a bit of a difference around that training and support. But in terms of school leadership, I would, you know, fund to the point where you remove the, the barriers. So there are interventions for those struggling readers and they're really good, you know, I work for the EF and, and we've got the, some the best evidence interventions and promising projects around literacy. So remove the funding barrier there. But again, even a good program that has proved to work in the school down the road still needs implementation support in your school context. So that requires investment and, and a school improvement structure and, and expert guidance. So all of this adds up in terms of the very notion of just training school leaders and teachers, you know, is multi-stranded itself. And, and that would hoover up quite a lot of investment. But as I've stated, if we can get reading right and if we can remove the, the barrier and the gaps in terms of literacy, then school success you know, nationally would be transformed. And, and that would have a knock-on effect for our society. And one of the things I, I, I talked about it in, in the vocabulary book, actually, in that our trajectory with reading and literacy, you know, the last 5,000 years is that we've got better and better and our society and world has got more literate and more literate. And, and for a little over a century, most people in the country are, are literate, although there's a couple of million who aren't, and that, that's an issue. But actually, it's only in the last generation 
where children now are falling behind the generation of our grandparents and that literacy you know can be potentially seen as being on the slide and and maybe there's factors around technology and and other issues here but if we want to improve schools and school outcomes but also if we want to improve society in in in, in many ways actually investing in early reading investing in reading and literacy throughout school and throughout adulthood particularly with a lot of illiterate adults out there i think it's one of the best investments a government can make so i'll make that argument and if i was ever given that kind of um key to the bank um i'd be making some significant investments too well you say you're not a politician alex but you've, you've got my vote with that that answer <laughs> thank you very much and is there anything else you'd like to um say to our to our listeners in closing um i think so I, I'm not teaching in a school at the moment, so I work for the EF. I, I support a, a national network of schools. Taught, um, some of the colleagues I work with are also school leaders. Um, my sisters um, are school leaders and, and work in schools. Um, all my best friends are teachers and school leaders. It, that's kind of the life I live. Um, and you know, I just recognise how challenging it is at the moment. And just keeping the main thing, teaching and learning, reading, all of these things we all know is important, but there are just so many barriers, you know, to the classroom, to attendance, to just doing the basics. But I know it's really difficult. I think people are doing a tremendous job. I think we need to do a better job nationally of removing some of those barriers, the likes of technology, etc. But generally, it's just a thanks. And, you know, I'm not patronising to say I don't think people aren't thinking about reading or working hard at it i just think again let, let let's give it that focus and let's build that expertise and, and train and support one another on reading because you know we don't know a lot about covid but we know that will be a success and that would help you know kind of close any of the emerging problems that have happened over the past six months indeed great stuff well thank you so much for talking to us today and thank you very much for listening key voices is produced by the key giving education leaders the knowledge to act members of the key for school leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com and please tell us what you think of the podcast rate review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions